my friends, uh, I don't know about you, but it seemed very striking uh, to me anyhow, the great lengths that Luke seemed to go to to ensure those who would read his gospel would know exactly when Jesus came. Six different ways Luke points to a particular time within human history. In the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, and Herod was tetrarch of Galilee, and his brother Philip, tetrarch of the region of Iteria and Trachonitis, and Lysanias was tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priest of Annas and Caiaphas. I mean, could Luke have been any more specific? It would be like describing our times as during the 21st year of Bill Belichick's second reign as Patriots coach, 21 years after drafting Tom Brady out of Michigan, 19 years after Adam Vinatieri's game-winning field goal as time expired secured Brady's first Super Bowl victory, 12 years after he married Giselle, seven years after deflate gates and dramatically winning his fourth Super Bowl when Russell Wilson threw an interception in the end zone with 26 seconds remaining in the game, one and a half years after being traded to Tampa Bay, where Garnkowski caught two touchdown passes and Brady won his second, seventh Super Bowl. I think you know what I'm getting at at this point. But you know, each of the figures mentioned by Luke in his gospel is an historical figure. Secular books record their existence. A great deal of evidence remains of their historical presence. Luke is very specific in recounting the exact moment in human history when God became flesh. The first coming of Christ is very clearly recorded. How sad it would be if we didn't embrace the benefits of this reality. If our lives did not reflect the truth this historical event points toward, that God himself, the only necessary being, loved us so much that he willed us into existence and that he pursued us into his creation, pursued us into our human nature. And I pray everyone here truly spends time thinking and meditating upon the infinity of God and that first coming of Christ, that the infinite God, the creator of the universe, became finite, that God has a face, that he lowered himself to enter into our human condition. He really did. He did this. He did it for you and me. He became one of us in order to save each of us. You know, it is important to note, very important to note, that Pilate and Herod and Annas and Caiaphas all mentioned to pinpoint the exact moment in human history where God became flesh, this first coming of Christ, they would all reappear on the scene when this God-man allowed himself to be tortured and killed to conquer sin and death for you and me. How sad it would be if Jesus poured out his blood and water from his pure side as he gave up his life for the whole world, what a shame it would be if everyone didn't accept this tremendous gift. 
if we didn't spend literally our whole lives thinking or thanking him for it. If we didn't embrace uh, John the Baptist's message in the desert of repentance, if we didn't generously and even sacrificially spend our lives preparing for his second coming, when, please God, we will see him face to face. My friends, God went to great lengths to encounter us, of course, by becoming one of us, entering our human condition. But note, too, that the first reading and the gospel so beautifully refer to the same event. They both speak of mountains and hills being made low, and valleys and gorges being filled in, winding roads made straight, the rough made smooth. The first reading from Baruch and Luke's gospel both are referring to Isaiah chapter 40. Isaiah, of course, was speaking of the Babylonian exile. The Jews were enslaved. They were captured and brought into exile in Babylon. And he speaks of a time when God would bring them back. Freedom. Imagine what it must have been like to travel that time of Christ, or even earlier, about 500 or 600 B.C., during the Babylonian exile. There were no interstate highway systems. There was the desert, the ever-changing desert, the desert filled with darkness, the desert roamed by robbers. Traveling the desert was physically challenging and very dangerous. And when the kings would leave Jerusalem to visit their delegations, his people would go out in front of him to make a highway for him to travel upon. It was grueling. It was very backbreaking work, lowering the mountains, filling in gorges, straightening paths for the king to ensure his safe and speedy travel. Well, Baruch and Isaiah were re referring to a time when God would free them from captivity and bring them to Jerusalem along this safe and prepared path. Luke refers, uh, refers to John the Baptist, who references Isaiah, telling us to prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. My friends, we too are to prepare the way for the Lord to come into our hearts and minds. A superhighway, if you will, for him to travel quickly upon so we can encounter him more deeply at Christmas and throughout this new year. We are to lower every mountain and fill in every valley, making winding rough roads straight and smooth so that we can encounter Christ in the hidden coming, that coming in spirit and power that St. Bernard of Clairvaux speaks of, that Jesus desires, he does, a desire to encounter each of us every day each day and each moment of every day in the sacraments and in our prayer lives in his word. We must prepare a way for him into this hidden coming. What are the mountains in our lives? Pride? Well, of course it is. It's uh, our root sin, is it not? Unforgiveness? Maybe sin? Laziness? Are there areas in our lives that make living a Christ-centered life more difficult? What well, Jesus is calling us to make these areas in our life low, through humility, through humble confidence. What are the valleys in our lives, the depths and gorges, these vulnerable aspects of our lives 
that put our spiritual well-being at risk, perhaps even our family's spiritual well-being at risk. Perhaps certain friendships, technology, sadly, the job. Jesus is calling us to fill in these areas of our life with his grace, to make ourselves vulnerable to God's love and his mercy. My friends, like John the Baptist, every last one of us here are being called to go in to the desert, to go into that place in which we can shut out the world and to hear the promptings of the God who loves. Before the most blessed sacrament throughout this week, of course, within Holy Scripture at home or here in the church or perhaps uh, on your commute, Father Mike Schmitz, I know many of you are, are listening to his podcast, Bible in a Year, we can do this privately, and we can do it in community. Luke shows that John the Baptist was the hinge, a beautiful hinge of sorts upon which all human history would turn. But we too, my friends, are being called to be hinges, an instrument of God's grace to another. Someone, or likely many someones, are counting on us to be that voice crying out in their deserts. Prepare the way of the Lord. You know, he loves you. He desires intimacy with you. God is always the first mover. He does not know how to be absent. He is always pursuing us. The Lord has done great things for us. When we reflect on this truth, my friends, we will be filled with joy. And may God be praised. Amen.